0: there we go
1: <laughs> uh, let me introduce you to Fred Ewing 50 years ago
0: check uh, the bow tie I uh, uh, that, that's actually a live that was my uh, name tag at our high school's 50th reunion that we had Not this would have been because of COVID we did it in uh, 2021 that's Fred Ewing uh, Murrah High School, class of 1970. That's my, my uh, senior picture. And uh, notice the uh, extraordinarily long sideburns. <laughs> that was, I don't know what, why they were so popular uh, then, but uh, but they were. Um, actually, Paula, what I've, what I've done is I've just got some <laughs> events and stories that kind of take my life from the beginning by year by location to now. Nice. So um, I've got my watch out. As long as you're up
1: there and I don't have to be up there, you can yeah. say anything. Okay. <laughs> uh,
0: Linda, anything you ask me. <laughs> 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 Mem- Memory is something that challenges us all. So. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, well, let's get started. Uh, like I said, we'll we'll go kind of by year, by location, and there's a lot of locations uh, in, uh, in in my story. But uh, 1952, uh, November 1, Memphis, Tennessee, is where life began for me. Um, and Memphis is a very fitting place for my story to begin because, uh, as my sister knows, oh, by the way, Vanessa has been bugging me about this presentation you know for a while Um, and she just wanted to be here but she got COVID we just got back from spring break and she got a bad case of COVID and she's still kind of wiped out you know her fever was normal today but um, uh, anyway that she would love to be here
1: it's been recorded so okay. she can
0: listen. All right, we miss you, honey. <laughs> uh, the um, But anyway, Memphis is uh, where my parents met seven years earlier uh, in 1945, just as the war was about to wind down. My dad was a engineer for Boeing, and Boeing uh, was building the B-29, and my dad was in charge of the cowling function that, not to get real technical, that encased the engine of the B-29. And uh, they headquartered him, not in Seattle, but in Memphis, Tennessee, and gave him a wonderful hotel room to live in at the Hotel Peabody. Um, and that's kind of where, it, he would visit plants throughout the South and the Midwest. And my mother also had moved to Memphis and she got a job selling airline tickets in the lobby of the Hotel Peabody (laughs) for the Chicago and Southern and so she obviously became noticed by my dad Uh, and he got enough courage one day to kind of stop her in the lobby Uh, it surprised my mom because she had the cash receipt she thought she was being held up (laughs) 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 and so um, uh, at any rate he, he, he asked her out on a date and this is interesting because it's formative to my Oh, what happened here we go again oh well we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute uh, it was formative because uh, mom's instincts were she said I'll go out with you on one condition that our first date be to the evening service of the Union Avenue Church of Christ. So that was kind of a marker that church was going to be important in my life, in my family's life. So, um, but what was also interesting about my beginning is my mother, and the Thompsons will relate to this, shared a semi-private obstetric room with Grace Farah. Grace was the wife of... Dr. Henry Farah, mm. and according to my knowledge, was probably the first serious foreign medical missionary the Churches of Christ yes. that ever supported uh, Nigerian Christian Hospital where Don goes still frequently. Uh, they were friends, and uh, she had uh, a, a son. Same day, named him Fred. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, so. Um, uh, that was kind of an interesting fact with my uh, beginning. Memphis also becomes important because it's where um, my mother's sister and brother-in-law, Louene and Dewey Byrd, also lived, and they were active in the Union Avenue Church of Christ. By the way, my parents, my father's parents, had all died uh, by 1948, so they weren't in the picture at all. So the only kind of grandparents and uh, extra family I knew was in Memphis, but uh, anyway, Annie Lou, Lou Bird, her husband Dewey, uh, through the war years and into the 50s started a young professionals class, Sunday school class, in the basement of the Union Avenue Church of Christ, and when I had moved up here and got to know John Cruthers Seniors, John Cruthers Seniors was a faithful attendee while he was in the military in their Sunday school class at the Union Avenue Church. It's also um, where my cousin, their their daughter Betty, uh, where's Sue Bonner? Uh, you know Betty Copeland, Betty and Ryan Copeland. Um, they uh, uh, were an important part of our family, and what's interesting <coughs> is uh, their, their daughter, Betty Copeland, marries Ryan Copeland, and they turn out to move in next door to an interesting family called the Rubio. Ron and Susan Rubio. And I remember meeting little David when he was about seven or eight years old on the way to the Gulf Coast for a beach vacation, they stayed in their home. And that's when I first became acquainted with a precocious, incredibly ill-behaved little boy named David. So, um, anyway,
1: watch it, Fred. What you I, say? I, 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 baby grew up in our house. Oh, I, you know. <laughs> Can I get
0: a name in? <laughs> um, 1958. Our family moved to Jackson, Mississippi. My dad got a job with a construction firm, um, and that was interesting. Um, I was five. I, got, I just turned six years old, and my dad loved to travel. And so we had just moved to Jackson. It was Thanksgiving uh, break. Mm-hmm. We had a uh, you know, turkey, whatever, in our in our little home there in Jackson. And Dad announces, "We're going to go to New Orleans and check out New Orleans." He loved to travel. And my mother went, "Oh my God, that's Sodom and Gomorrah!" You know? <laughs> they had an argument over whether to go to New Orleans. Well, Dad prevails. I think he convinced my mom that we weren't going to be staying in the quarter where the real <laughs> bad stuff occurred. So at any rate we, we take off, we head to New Orleans and I remember we arrived at night coming over the Huey P. Long Bridge, he saw all the lights of the big city, you know, so I said, wow, this is fun. And dad never made reservations, he just kind of looked for the best motel he could find and sure enough he picked out This is important, the Town and Country Motel on Airline Highway. And it was nice. It was comfortable. It had a big pool. It just, you know, really cool. And we all go to bed. And about 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, bang, 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 bang. Would someone help me? This man's going to kill me. He's going to rape me. I need help. Would someone help me? And she's banging on doors all around this hotel. Well, she gets to our room. And my dad gets up, lets her in, and she uh, is quite young. Turns out she was only 17. I came to find out later. And she described where she went, was babysitting for this guy. He convinced her to go out. They hit a few bars. He gets a little frisky and starts to assault her. And she runs, and she starts knocking doors in this hotel looking for help. My dad decides to help her. And so out the door they go, he forgets his glasses. He's real nearsighted. And it was one of those kind of u shaped hotels, uh, motels with the, the, the central office separate and apart from all the units. Anyway, um, dad's escorting her to the office where they're gonna call the police, get her cab. And this hoodlum shows up. She recognizes her car, she runs back to our room My mother's just furious with her uh, because she said, he's going to come kill us all too. And my mother literally takes the big dresser that you see in a hotel room, pushes it up against the door so no one can get in. Uh, You know, I'm a six-year-old. I'm going, what in the (laughs) dick? And um, the next thing I knew, uh, and this was pretty traumatic, I heard the physical sounds of two men fighting out in, outside our room, because he was, he was bound and determined. And dad didn't let him. Uh, I think my dad got the worst into this, but I, I remember hearing the, the sounds of violence and someone getting painfully attacked. After a few minutes, Knock on the door because dad can't get in the door. Uh, and my, here's my bloody, bruised father. And um, we check out. Uh, uh, we go to another hotel. Please come. Anyway, uh, make a long story short, literally the next day in the Times-Picayune, there's a little story about Mississippi man being a hero. Uh, I, I literally think he rescued this girl from being trafficked. I think this guy was determined to turn her, so to speak. So anyway, that's kind. Of, Jackson, Mississippi's off to a great start, you know. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, Jackson—it was uh, where uh, Jan and I grew up. Um, it was a, a really fun place. Uh, got great memories there. Um, the um, there was a number of events to, to recall. One was, um, and I'm, I'm glad Jan's here, that was formative. Uh, Jan developed a really severe case of epilepsy when she was in middle school. And, uh, and it's just a testament to her that that disability didn't define her. Um, but it was a very all intense uh, episode with my, my parents. Uh, working with Jan uh, Jan went on to become a nurse have a great life but uh, that 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 night when when Jan had her first really bad tough seizure that was a, that was kind of a defining moment it was it was very um, moving inspiring to me to see Jan and my parents work their way through that um, so
1: before you leave Memphis Fred I have yeah. to tell you something what's that you were born the year before i got married
0: okay (laughs) oh wow
1: (laughs) and and i had been teaching school after college so oh wow so there's a little difference
0: in our age (laughs) 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 yes did you go to the union avenue church or White white station that's right that's where they ended up um Also, Jackson uh, is where I met uh, my wife, Vanessa, my lifelong partner, and for now, this year will be 50 years. Um, We both were in the same youth group at the Meadowbrook Church of Christ, and uh, she had just kind of started coming to the church in the summer, and we went on the youth retreat. Um, And I remember sneaking out, and I tried to get Vanessa to sneak out with me and she would not do it. <laughs> um, but um, those were interesting. Those were the days when the girls would swim, swim separately from the boys. And uh, so that, those were kind of fun memories. But Vanessa and I really uh, got acquainted at church. Our first date uh, for you sports fans was uh, Ole Miss LSU uh, home game that was played in Jackson. Um, Ole Miss won 27-24, Archie Manning led him from behind in the fourth quarter, uh, but that was our, our first date. Um, I had a great uh, uh, run at, uh, at, at the high school, uh, Murrah High School, I had a, a bunch of close friends I played baseball and basketball with. Uh, we used to love to pull pranks and do kind of crazy things together. We called them Mission Impossibles. Remember remember the TV series Mission Impossible? Thunder came out, you know, and the music. And and so we'd call, do a Mission Impossible. And so to give you an example, one of my favorite ones was uh, we would sabotage dates. And uh, one of my fellow basketball players, Fred Marshall, didn't date many girls, but he got enough courage one night to ask a girl on a date and says so to a football game, a high school football game. Well, we scoped out where he parked. And back in those days, no one liked their car. You know, no one liked their car. So uh, we knew where he was parked. I got some uh, black shoe polish and a black toboggan, black sweatshirt. It was totally black, got a black blanket. And before they got to their car, I got in the back foreboard and covered up. And so Fred brings his date, and they get in the car, and I'm talking, and he says, you know, where do you want to go? And he said, well, let's go to Riverside Park. hmm <laughs> <laughs> And Jackson Riverside Park was a public park with swings, and where everyone would kind of go and do what teenagers would kind of do. <laughs> and so the car cranks up, and, you know, it, it was only just a few blocks from the football stadium. And I'm like, he doesn't know I'm here, he doesn't know... Finally, he pulls up, parks the car, and I decided I'd better reveal myself sooner rather than later. <laughs> and so he parks the car, and I fill up the blanket, and I said, here's Johnny.
1: <laughs> and
0: oh, my goodness. Uh, thank goodness my friends were following us. And I, I escaped the vehicle, and... Anyway, that was, that was a Mission Impossible. Uh, there are some others we did that are rated PG-13 that I, I'm not going to put on, on tape. Um, but anyway, I, I was very involved in baseball and basketball. Uh, I was able to, um, um, through my basketball ability, uh, to generate a scholarship to a Church of Christ junior college at the time was known as the Christian College of the Southwest in Dallas, Texas. Um, and um, the school actually had a pretty good uh, JUCO junior college reputation, been in the Final Four a few times. Um, the president of the school at that time was a, was a Church of Christ preacher by the name of E.W. McMillan. This is the same pastor that married my parents back at Union Avenue in 1945, which was interesting. He was president of the, of the college. <laughs> um, so anyway, 1970, I go to the big city Dallas to, to, to start in a church Christ junior college and play basketball. My coach was uh, Coach David Ray, who's also the brother-in-law of Byron Williamson. Remember Byron that spoke here? Mm-hmm. David was a former uh, All-American. In those days it was ACC, now it's ACU. He was a six-foot-nine All-American center. Back in the middle 60s and he was tough. He uh, was, we had grueling conditioning and practices. Uh, Literally the very first basketball practice that was officially held when I got there in late summer 1970. I wasn't on the court more than five minutes and I was in a rebounding drill, and I butt heads with another player. Eight-inch gash opens up mm-hmm. over my right eye, blood everywhere. Take me off, get me stitched up. And I thought, okay, I've got to pass from practice for another couple of weeks. Nope. <laughs> Coach Ray brings out this wire mask. He said, "Put this on and go play. <laughs> oh <my> goodness, <laughs> got this wire mask, eight stitches. That same day, I broke that finger in basketball in, a, in another rebounding exercise. So anyway, it was, it was a slow start,
1: um,
0: but um, uh, much more physical, much more demanding. In high school, I had to get at like a half-court running start, and I could just barely dunk it. Uh, by the time Coach Ray got through with me, I could take one dribble, one step, and dunk with two hands. Uh, so that was, that, was, that was one good part about it. Uh, Also in Dallas, I had a fantastic uh, summer part-time job with the Earl Owen Company. Earl Owen Company, it was downtown Dallas. They did everything to a car except the engine. They didn't do anything to the engine, but they did custom carpet, upholstery, headliners, uh, just anything custom other than automotive to the car they did. And so he would often get expensive cars to come in and work on. And so my job was, I got paid to do this believe it or not, I would drive a pickup out to a Porsche dealership, Lamborghini dealership, Jaguar dealership, Mercedes dealership, leave the pickup and drive this beautiful car back into downtown Dallas. Um, And that's what I did, that was my my job. And Earl Owen, he was a Church of Christer, by the way, but he had this thing uh, about, how, how you got paid. Every employee on Friday afternoon to get your money, you had to come and show up in person. And he literally paid you in cash. He had good records, but he would literally, so I stood in line, it came my turn, and he would give some feedback about your work. And you know, I thought that was odd. I don't know how long he probably could have done that, Terry. I, that, you know, that had to change at some point. <laughs> at least when I was there, that's how, how you got paid. The other thing about Dallas in those days, the Cowboys played in the Cotton Bowl, and if you're a college student, you could sit in the end zone for five dollars. So I did that. Became a big Cowboy fan. Uh, 1972. My uh, even though I, I was starting playing basketball, I, the, the the big no one was interested in Fred going to play college. So I decided I'll just go on to Abilene and finish my uh, education. So off I went. Uh, 1972. I lived off campus with some uh, uh, friends, uh, uh, two brothers, Gene and Kyle Sheets. Uh, we lived um, a little bit west of the campus. Uh, it was the three of us and a dog named Cowboy. <laughs> Cowboy was a uh, black retriever, except for his four paws were white, and he looked like he had on white boots, so we called him Cowboy. Uh, Cowboy is a unique dog, um, he would greet, he stayed outside all the time. You would pull up as a visitor, you would pull up in the driveway, Cowboy would jump up on the hood and lift the windshield and welcome to you. Uh, <laughs> uh, he also uh, discovered a cow skull that was pretty fresh at a meatpacking plant, drug it all the way to their home. That became our front porch door stop. And we would just tell people, come down Fannin Road until you see a cow skull on the porch and stop. That was our home. So that was,
1: that's
0: where I, where I lived. Um, another interesting thing about Abilene is um, that's where Vanessa and I's first home was. We got married in July 1973 And our first home was at a little place called Happy Time Apartments, right across the street from the admin building uh, at ACC. Uh, I also had another neat part-time job with uh, Exxon. Uh, the, The wholesale distributor was a man named Leon Reese. And when he interviewed me, we got to talking about family, and lo and behold, Leon Reese was in that same young professional class that John Carruthers was in, that my aunt and uncle did at Union Avenue, so I thought that was sort of interesting. Leon's son became Jack Reese, who was former head of the Bible department. Uh, He was a great man, a great, great mentor. Um, But the uh, spiritual atmosphere in Abilene was probably the most telling. Vanessa and I would go to church twice on Sunday mornings. We'd go to early service at Mentor Lane, hear Landon Saunders preach. And we got in our car and drove across town to Fitton Highland, and we heard Lynn Anderson preach. And the preaching of those two men was just soaring. I'd never heard preaching that was that biblical, but so encompassing and so fresh. It was uh, incredible. Uh, I actually... Got to do some work with Lynn Anderson. Uh, he had a, a a radio program at the time, and I did some script research for him and got to know him. He was he was quite quite a man. Um, so, Abilene were, were great years. Graduated. I decided uh, to pursue a graduate degree in uh, hospital administration. Uh, and the two schools came down to Tulane in New Orleans, one of my mom's favorite towns,
1: uh, or Trinity University
0: in San Antonio. And um, um, I was leaning toward Tulane, but all of a sudden uh, a Church of Christ professor at Trinity in the business school had an opening for a research assistant, and it was gonna pay really well, another good part-time job. And so I got real focused on Trinity, but uh, they required not a GRE exam, but an ATGSB. And my score was kind of average, and I was not accepted, which was probably a huge disappointment. I just, I, said, oh, I can't believe this. Well, anyway, rejected at Trinity, but accepted at Tulane. So off to New Orleans we go. Uh, That was quite a conversation with Mom. Uh, But anyway, we go to New Orleans, Uh, Vanessa and I, we um, pack up our little U-Haul and I I remember um, just as we were going across the bridge to our apartment in Gretna, all the traffic stopped and I said, oh man, I got off this stuff and everyone looked over the side of the rail I said, what's going on? Well, that night we learned that someone drove from Shreveport, Louisiana, all the way to New Orleans in their life. They had jumped over. Mm-hmm. So uh, I said, an interesting start to, to New Orleans. But um, anyway, we, uh, we found a little apartment. Um, and one thing about going to Tulane uh, that my mother and her friends, they were worried about Fred. Fred's going to lose his faith. He's going to go to one of these fancy secular schools. <coughs> and uh, he he just won't be a member of the church any longer, you know, just worry, worry, worry. So I just said, okay, okay, it's it's gonna be fine. We're gonna go to a church, it'll be fine. Well, literally, I I couldn't believe this. The first day of graduate school, the first hour, I heard a lecture by Dr. Philip Beckjord, who was in public health. And his class was kind of a history of uh, world history of public health. His first hour, all he talked about was the, uh, the the health codes in Leviticus in the Bible. That was that was the first lecture I heard. I thought, wow, this is cool. <laughs> Everyone's really worried about this, but the you know my first day is is, is a great lecture on the health codes found in, in the Old Law. So anyway, that was very uh, big faith building moment for me. But New Orleans was, was, was a neat place uh, to live. Ooh, I'm going to have to hurry. Um, we um, would drive our car to the ferry. Uh, we would take the ferry across the river, car, boat. Vanessa worked in the Trademark Building, which is right at the, on the river at the foot of Canal Street. I would take the bus up ten blocks to St. Charles, car, boat, bus, and I would take the trolley to Tulane. So four methods of transportation wow. to, uh, to, to get to, to school. Um, we uh, were active in the, the Gretna Church of Christ, uh, taught the high school class. Vanessa actually became the church secretary there the last year we were there. Um, but Tulane was quite expensive and my parents did not have an awful lot of money. I discovered a scholarship with the United States Navy and I became a commissioned officer while in graduate school. And so after I finished Tulane, my first assignment with the Navy was in Corpus Christi, Texas at the Naval Regional Medical Center. Uh, beautiful uh, base, overlooked the the Gulf. Uh, They trained um, pilots there, a great group of officers. A couple of stories, The, the very first weekend I was on call, I had to deal with a family who lost their firstborn through SIDS. Uh, that was tough. That, that really, I'd learned a lot about what to say and what not to say uh, in a pastoral setting. Um, but um, uh, the other uh, memory I had from the Navy was the Blue Angels came to town, and we had to do a, a ton of preparation to, to have the Blue Angels come to an air show. And I represented the hospital command, and we had to get the transportation. And so they called a meeting where we were going to meet all the Blue Angels and go over all of our plans. And I was really looking forward to it, but I was running a little bit late, and so rather than take the long sidewalk up to the uh, headquarters, I took a shortcut, started running across the grass, and about halfway, to the command uh, headquarters, the sprinkler system comes on. <laughs> and I soaked, I had a white uniform on, it was, it was starch and crisp, and I walk into this room and there's like five time cruises in there, uh, blue angels and jumpsuits,
1: and
0: ascot ties, and they just, they, they look like they all just are handsome and impeccable, and I walk in and I'm soaking wet, it's late, but anyway. Um, We were active uh, at the Weber Road Church of Christ. And I want to tell this story, uh, because it was quite meaningful to me at the time. It's really not a good story, but it's a story worth telling, particularly today. Um, The church was a conservative church, was starting to struggle with the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Was the Holy Spirit really like the New Testament said, or did it kind of stay remaining in a book? And... Y'all all all remember those debates and everything. And the church was starting to fray. And so about seven young couples, including Vanessa and I, met to pray and work through what we could do to try to keep the church together and and functional. Um, And so we had a great meeting. Someone said, let's end this meeting with a season of prayer. So we did. Everyone started to pray Vanessa prayed, another wife prayed, and when the meeting ended, one of our number stood up, he happened to be the worship leader, he says, I feel like we have sinned. Uh, It is wrong for a woman to pray with a man being present. He says, this is wrong, we have sinned. I just cannot do that, and we were just like, oh wow. And so this effort at unity on the basis of religious practice was devastated, and so it got me early on really thinking about how do you read and interpret these restrictions. I had lunch with this gentleman, and he literally believed he would not let his wife speak at church. She couldn't talk, ask a question in class. She couldn't just couldn't do it they, uh, she didn't even pray in their home. Uh, and he, and it was, anyway, but that's what he firmly, firmly believed. So that was, uh, that was a, uh, a meaningful moment. Um, oh my gosh, I've really got to hurry. Um, <laughs> we leave um, uh, Corpus Christi. My my um, naval commitment hadn't ended. We move to, uh, take an assignment at the hospital at Cherry Point, North Carolina with Marines. We lived in New Bern, North Carolina. Um, One, uh, pretty uneventful, except in the spring of 1980, for the first time in my uh, brief military career, the commanding officer called me in and said, Fred, you need to make all the arrangements in case you get deployed uh, in the next 24 hours, you know, bank, will. You know, all this stuff, you, know, you may be in the Middle East um, running a field hospital. I'm like, oh my goodness. So I'll go home, tell Vanessa, that's not something she wanted to hear. So we kind of, for several days, we kind of had this wing over us, Something, something's going on. Until early one morning, I woke up and saw President Carter give his press conference about the failed Iranian rescue mission for the hostages, remember the mm-hmm. Tehran? and it didn't work out so well. Well, within two or three days after that, we got the stand-down order. So all that, I think, was anticipating a shooting war that might have broken out you know, on that hostage crisis. But that's as close as I got to any sort of you know, foreign, uh, foreign service. Um, we were active in the in the, in the, the New Bern Church of Christ there. Uh, I was told I was the first one ever to read publicly from anything other than a King James Version. Uh, it tells you something about that Bible. They did open a new building, which was kind of nice. And I'll never forget, we were all standing, and, and, and one of the ladies says, our baptistry has no curtain. We need a curtain for the baptistry. And Vanessa says, oh, I've got an idea. Next thing I knew, Vanessa goes home, drives back, and she's literally got the bedroom curtain. From our master bedroom, I said, "Vanessa, you know what that curtain scene? You know." <laughs> and so it becomes the uh, the curtain for the baptistry, and it looked great. I tell you, the color was perfect, uh, but anyway, I just never forget that. Uh, I leave the uh, the military. I um, actually applied to a number of hospital companies. My first visit ever to Nashville was to interview with HCA, but I didn't take the HCA job. I took a job in Atlanta with a startup HMO that was started up by members of the Church of Christ. Archie Crenshaw was behind it, uh, the former dean of the engineering school here. Uh, Justin Myrick was in Atlanta at the time. They had uh, started a effort for uh, medical, missionary-minded physicians to have a group practice so they could support themselves and rotate out to somewhere in the planet to be a medical missionary for a year and come back. And they did it in the construct of an HMO. The health maintenance organization was a topic I studied extensively in graduate school. I thought it was really going to be successful. And Anyway, I didn't go the hospital route. I went to work for the HMO in Atlanta. Uh, it was great, I was working with Christians, but the HMO concept in Atlanta was so successful we outgrew our ability to find Church of Christ doctors. Uh, it went from zero to 30,000 like overnight. And so we had to kind of give up on the idea of only having Church of Christ physicians because we had to staff physicians for the HMO. And we also outgrew our capital and we become acquired by Health America Corporation out of Nashville. And the CEO was Philip Bredesen, former governor, uh, former mayor of Nashville. And I'll tell you, he was probably one of the best executives I ever worked for. He was decisive. He was—he knew what he wanted. He could make decisions. He was not pretentious. Uh, he was considerate. Um, not wild about him as a politician, but he was a great, great executive. Um, so we, uh, we lived in Atlanta. Um, we uh, were very active in the Decatur Church of Christ where we got to know the Vickers, uh, the Craigs, uh, and their daughter, Barry, <laughs> in those days. The Furmans, if you know Steve and Susan Furman that go to Otter Creek, they were, they were in our, our class. Um, uh, those were great years. Um, one thing I forgot to mention from my Corpus Christi years, that's where Kimberly, my daughter, was born. Uh, Our first, she's been a fantastic daughter, Uh, not a problem, thoughtful, kind, whatever. Which reminded me, in Atlanta is where our son was born, Michael. Um, I knew he was going to be a lawyer, you know, by the time he was five years old. Uh, Argumentative. Uh, challenged everything but uh, they were a great they were a great combination but anyway Michael was born uh, in Atlanta but I've got to tell this story um, oh yeah I'm running over overtime uh, remember I was rejected at Trinity well early on in my uh, tenure with the HMO the medical director and I go to a conference in Detroit the hotel is oversold and they we had Instead of having two separate rooms, we shared a room. You know, so first time, you know, we didn't really know each other. So we're laying in bed at night, and we start telling stories about our families. And he he starts telling me he's from San Antonio, and both he and his wife had, had, were in their second marriage. They'd been married only about a year, and we got talking about religion. And I said Church of Christ. He said, Well, my wife is Church of Christ, and. Oh, boy, boy, her first marriage in the Church of Christ, her, she had a husband that was a professor, and he was like, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Hyde. He would treat her awful at home. He would abuse her. He would go out on her. He would bring back sexually transmitted disease. He said it was, it was just living hell for her. And I said, where did he teach? school. <laughs> <laughs> What's his name? And, it, the guy, and, and Dr. Cockney looks up and he said, how did you know? I said, well, I almost went to work for this guy. <laughs> and so it was an epiphany about how God somehow protects us in ways. Because I was so dejected that I had been rejected by Trinity. And I am so glad that I didn't go after hearing... So, anyway, it uh, really happened, really happened. Um, Atlanta, the HMO movement was taken off. I got a, another opportunity to work with the startup HMO in Austin, Texas, 1983. I was, became executive administrator of Austin Regional Clinic that had a contract to provide the HMO services. It really grew rapidly. Um, but Austin was great years, it's where our kids grew up. Uh, A lot of great memories there. And this is where um, we went to the Brentwood Oaks Church of Christ. It's a neat church, 38-acre campus, actually had a swimming pool. But if I could get this to fire up, one of the things we did at that church um, is they had an annual talent show. And I've got to do this. uh oh! Did I lose my uh, power here? I think my computer's dead. Did it not oh, yeah. Is it anyway, let's see. <coughs> Well, let me try to describe it as best I can. Uh, We're going to do a sing-along, but we had this annual talent show uh, at the HEB Encampment. The whole church, literally, we go on retreat together at the HEB Encampment in in the the hill country of Texas. Kimberly remembers, great place, great big camp. Oh, here we go. Okay, we got that back. Okay, here we go. And the elders at, that, at the, the church that year were cracking down on lateness. And so when you would go to every entrance, there would be an elder checking to see if you were on time. <laughs> so, no, no I'm, I'm not joking. So I decided to write a parody to the tune, Rawhide. Remember? "Rollin', rollin', rollin'." I want you to sing this with me. Okay. Ready? It's called On Time. Ready? Remember all hide? Yeah. yeah. Come on, I need to hear you. <laughs> um, rolling, rolling, rolling The day is Sunday morning So get your family rolling on time Don't try and treat them kindly Just holler at them blindly The time is moving half past day Despite their disapproving, there won't be no excusing. The elders are watching who is late. Ready, this goes quick now. Head them up, move them on, move them on, head them up, head them up, move them on on time. Ride them in, cut them out, cut them in, ride them out, ride them in, cut them out on time. Move in, move in, move though they're disapproving. Get your kids a moving on time. This is autobiographical, by the way. <laughs> Brother's coughing in the bathroom. Sister sprayed him with her sassoon. She claims he flushed her toothpaste. While I try to stop the fighting, the toilet's overflowing. Water is halfway to my way. Head'em up, move them on, move em on, head them up, head em up, move them on on time. Ride em in, cut them out, cut them out, ride them in, ride em in, cut em out on time. Oops. Um, primping, this is the best part. Primping, primping, primping while in the car we're waiting. Mom's trying to get ready on time. Out the door she's storming because the horn is blowing. My eyes catch her deadly stare. She's got powder on her nose, a runner in her hose. Curlers are hanging in her hair. Where'd you get that idea? Uh, that was a great town show. We're almost done. Uh, that was Austin. Uh, 1990, we moved to the Dallas-Fort Worth area, went to Richland Hills, uh, started a new job, um, which was great. Um, Got a chance to, one of our investors was George W. Bush. Got a chance to get to know him a little bit. But uh, in a startup, you spend all your time raising money. I didn't want to do that. So we ended up moving to Nashville with uh, FICOR, where I could operate again. Uh, Came to Otter Creek. Uh, and it's just been great. Um, we have loved uh, Nashville, we've loved Otter Creek. Um, I was with FICOR for about seven or eight years and then my great friend Terry Christie introduced me to Senior Living, I believe it was in the year 2000 with American Retirement Corporation. And Senior Living is kind of where I uh, finished my career. Um, became an elder and uh, 1999 and uh, I just love this church. It, it's just, it, it, it's got its challenges, uh, but it's honest and it's real and it's raw. And I wouldn't go any other place in Nashville but on a creek. Uh, I've got some great elder stories. Um, kind of back to David Rubio real quick. We were having youth group turnover, uh, youth director turnover quite frequently Uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, and Bill Reeder, who's another fellow elder, also knew David through his son William, one day in the elder meeting, I said, I want to reach out to David Rubio, I heard he just got into youth ministry, and so I was in Birmingham on business, and uh, got a hold of David, we went to dinner at Full Moon Barbecue on Highway 280, and asked him if he'd be interested in Notta Creek, and he had just moved to Birmingham, but he said, "You know, I think I would." So I got David in touch with our search committee, the Tim Woodruff and the Butlers and, mm-hmm. and that took care of our youth group turnover. You know, mm-hmm. for the next you know twenty plus years. That's how David uh, came our way. Um, one other, I know we're out of time. Yeah, one other, one other great story. Um, I'd become an elder, um, and Buddy Arnold uh, came to me one morning, and, and I had happened to be dressed to go to a Titans game, and I had a blue sweater on with a kind of a mock white turnlake, what you call it, mock turtleneck, and a tweed jacket for church, and he said, Fred, you look just like a bishop. You know, buddy, was kind of fashion-conscious. Kind of I thought that was kind of cool. So, you know, went to the Titan game, uh, and that evening I had volunteered to sit with Charlie Armstrong at the hospital. And um, I thought, well, before I go visit with sit with Charlie that evening. I would get a quick dinner. Remember the old Bellmead cafeteria? Yeah. Oh, I miss that place.
1: <laughs> I went in there
0: to eat and I'm eating by myself and during my meal, this little old lady walks up to me and she says, Father, what, do church? what, what church do you pastor? And I looked at her and I just couldn't resist. I said, the Otter Creek Church of Christ. And her eyes got this big. And she said, I heard there were changes going on. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. But this story ain't over yet. So I finish my meal, I go to the garage, park my car, and I'm coming in that entrance to, to St. Thomas West, and I'm uh, trying to get to the room to take my shift with Charlie, and there's this janitor, you know, waxing the floor, and, and first thing out of his mouth is top of the evening father <laughs> bless you my son <laughs> that's probably all the time I've got anyway thank you sorry